0: few weeks ago our family took a short trip to Niagara Falls and uh, some of you know about it because you've seen some pictures after uh, coming back uh, a number of you have uh, told me about the pictures and um, we shared with some of you more of our experiences uh, we shared how amazing it was and how beautiful it was and how uh, we would encourage anyone who goes to visit the Niagara Falls to be sure to get on a boat ride that takes you into the falls and gives you the perspective of being surrounded 270 degrees uh, of all around you, almost 360, but not quite, but 270 degrees of just falling water, an amazing experience, no matter how many pictures we would show you, no matter how many videos we would take, or how much we would boast and sort of brag about how amazing that experience was, it does not do justice to experiencing it in person. Uh, If you know what I'm talking about, you're nodding your head and you agree with me. Now, what are we doing, what were we doing when we were talking about water falling? I mean, really? I mean, this is just water falling down. Oh, no, 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 no. You haven't, if you haven't seen Niagara Falls, you don't know how amazing that is. Now, what are we doing when we're saying that? We are we're praising. We are ascribing adjectives about how amazing something as plain as water is when it falls down at, at, at high speeds and at great quantities and at high heights How amazing God has made water falling down in such a beautiful place as Niagara Falls. We are praising the beauty of God's creation. In a sense, we might say we are ascribing greatness, we are ascribing glory to this part of God's creation, the Niagara Falls. In a similar way, the pattern of ascribing greatness, talking about how how amazing something is, that pattern is at the heart of glorifying, of ascribing glory. And this morning, we want to encourage one another that the greatest object, the greatest aim that we can glorify, the greatest uh, target purpose that we can glorify is God Himself. As a matter of fact, He has made all things beautiful. Everything that you see beautiful in this creation that is worthy of ascribing greatness to has its source in God who made all things. As human beings, our greatest call in life is actually to glorify God, who made all this beautiful creation, to ascribe glory to Him. The first question of another catechism, the Westminster Shorter Catechism, asks the question, what is the chief end of man? And the answer is, man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. But what What should we glorify God for? Why should we glorify God? Why should we glorify God? And this is the question that our text this morning, that we will open God's Word to read, will answer for us this morning. I invite you to open God's Word to Romans chapter 16. We'll be looking at verses 25 to 27. It's the last portion of the book of Romans. And uh, this text will encourage us and will give us reasons why we, not only we, but every, every human being should glorify God for. Let's open God's word to Romans 16 verse 25 to the end. Here is God's word. To him who is able forevermore through jesus christ amen this is the word of the lord for us this morning would you join me in praying to god to help us to help me to prepare to preach his word to help us to listen to this message for the for his glory in our midst let's pray father you are so good And you alone are worthy of all glory and honor. Father, help us this morning to glorify you. Help us this morning to understand why we should glorify you. We need the help of your Holy Spirit. I need the help of your Spirit to proclaim this word. We all need the help of your Spirit to hear it. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Why glorify God? Before we answer this question... Before we look at this passage, let me say this is the last message in our series of messages through the book of Romans. Uh, this, we have been through this journey, we have taken this journey uh, on a fairly fast pace, 37 messages, and you may say, whoa, that's not very fast. Well, John Piper preached to Romans in seven and a half years. And Lloyd-Jones preached the book of Romans in 16 years. Children, how many of you are 16 years of age? Just raise your hand. Maggie is. Imagine if we had started working through the book of Romans when Maggie was born. And we would just now finish it. Now that's long. We have covered the book of Romans in less than a year. And I hope it's been an enjoyable and a depth opening Experience of the deafness of God's grace to save rebellious sinners like you and like me. As we come to the close of this book, we read these words that are words of praise. It's a, in theological terms, it's a doxology. A doxology literally means words that ascribe praise. Doxa means praise. Logos means word. So word of praise. And particularly in, in Christian literature, it's it's praise uh, declared to God. For those of you who are used to some of the uh, elements of liturgy, you may under- know also the, the, the term of benediction. A benediction is different than a doxology. A benediction is words that God Utters to bless us. They're words of blessing from God for us and towards us. That's a benediction. A doxology are words of blessing and praise that we ascribe to God. And the book of Romans ends on this note of a, of a beautiful, of a rich doxology. Words that ascribe glory, praise to God. Now, you might say, well, that makes a lot of sense. After all that we have seen in the beauty of this book, of the book of Romans, it is appropriate that we would close and and finish this study by this message ascribing praise to God. And that is true. After all we've seen in the book of Romans, it makes sense. It's appropriate that this book would end with praise, with glorifying and with glorying in God. But there is another reason why glorying and and this doxology, glorying in God at the end of the book is so important. And we understand that importance when we remember how the book started. The book started with a picture of fallen humanity how humanity has rebelled against our maker, against God. And the first description of humanity, of fallen humanity who has rebelled against God, the first description in the book of Romans about fallen humanity is in verse 21 of chapter 1. Just listen along. You don't have to turn there. Here's how Paul describes fallen humanity. For although they knew God... They did not honor him as God. The Greek word for honoring God is the word doxazo, to glory. It's a word to ascribe glory to God. In other words, humanity's problem is that they have failed to honor God, to ascribe glory to God as God. Humanity's problem is not the lack of the knowledge of God. Paul says here, For although they knew God, we know enough about God from the creation around us that should lead us to praise Him. But instead of praising God, we have taken His glory, we have stolen His glory away from Him and wanting to put it on ourselves. Paul makes it clear that humanity refused to honor God even though humanity has known God. So, if this book started with the failure of human beings to honor God, it's even more appropriate that at the end of this book, this book ends with a declaration of who is worthy of all honor and glory God alone. So if this book started with humanity's failure to honor God, it's a big deal that Paul ends on a statement uh, to honor, to glorify God. And through the message of this book, people, were made, people who were made in the image of God are now enabled and given the reason why we should praise God. At the beginning of this sermon series in the book of Romans, we looked at the big theme of the book it's the unfolding of the gospel of God. Throughout this book, Paul has been teaching us that the gospel of God reveals His righteousness for all who believe. So we must respond to this gospel personally, corporately, and missionally. That was a that was message we looked at in the very first sermon in the series. But the final goal of God revealing this gospel... His righteousness, so that any of us who would believe and and trust in Christ would actually receive that righteousness. The goal of all that is so that this gospel would produce in us the ability and the desire to glorify God above everything else. It's as if this gospel wants to restore in us the, the heart's desire and ability to ascribe all glory to our God. So the intent of the gospel message is not merely to help us gain some understanding, and it's not merely just to get us to heaven. It is the goal of this gospel message is to enable us and to put in us the desire to glorify God. When we look at the reasons why Paul praises God in this text, we notice what holds these reasons together. It's actually, we're going to see in verse 25 one reason, in verse 27 another reason, and then in the middle, verse 26, is the unfolding of what keeps these reasons together. It's a gospel. It's as if Paul is saying, hey, now that I'm getting to the end of this book, let me tell you one more time about this gospel. Because what this gospel produces in us enables us to to worship God, to see Him for who He is, and to ascribe glory to Him. So, the message in these last few verses of the book is that Christians ascribe glory to God for His purpose with the gospel. Christians ascribe glory to God for His purpose with the gospel. And you may say, well, what are God's purposes with the gospel? Let's look at our text. We will see three purposes that God has with the gospel in this passage. The first purpose that God has with the gospel is that he makes us firm through the gospel. God makes us firm through the gospel. Look at verse 25. Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ. Notice the first quality that Paul boasts in, highlights about what God is doing. He is able to strengthen you. If you're a child of God, hear these words. God is able to strengthen you. And the strengthening that God does needs to be explained a little bit here because it's not like the strengthening that just increases some energy in you, increases some power in you. Rather, rather it's, u- it's a word that's used for establishing, fixing something. Not the text fixing, but like solidifying, like making firm. Imagine, for example, the short effects of strengthening that you get when you drink a cup of coffee most of us these days uh, feel the need to start the day with at least a cup of coffee because it provides that extra edge of energy, of strength, of boost for the day. But what happens a few hours after you drink the coffee? That caffeine wears off and you either go for another cup or just cruise for the rest of your day with what you got. And your normal energy now goes back into the normal default mode. That's, that's a way to strengthen yourself. Drink a cup of coffee and get some strengthening for the day. But imagine another kind of strengthening, not the coffee. Imagine a house whose foundation is cracking up, broken. And uh, you call a company who will come in and install those deep pillars be- with that made of concrete and iron to solidify that foundation so that that foundation will, will be fixed. So that that foundation will be established. So that that foundation will no longer move. It's another kind, another picture of Strengthening of establishing. The word used here when Paul says to him who is able to strengthen you is not the strength that you get from, a, from drinking a cup of coffee that wears off. It's rather the second picture when you're being rooted in, established, made firm, made immovable, made unshakable. And that's what God is doing. And that's what Paul is praising about God. He is able to get you to be firm, to to get you to be established and unshakable. So many things in this world are fluid and uncertain. Think about politics. Think about economy. Think about the financial market. Think even about our society, how it views Sexuality. In our society, there are huge pressures to make even our gender to be uncertain and to be a matter of personal preference and decision. If even our gender is now under attack, and we have to fight for defining it, what's going to be next? That's going to be fluid in our world. When we orient our lives on the foundation of our self-expression, everything will become uncertain. Everything will be in flux. Everything will be moving and changing. In a world that is constantly changing and uncertain, God is saying to us that He is able to establish His people. To make them firm, to make them immovable, unshakable, immovable and unshakable even beyond the grave. Now if you wonder how is God establishing his people to be so firm, Paul is quick to clarify the means by which God makes his people firm and established. He says in verse 25, look again with me, now to him who is able to strengthen you, how? according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ. This is the means by which God is establishing a people for Himself. This is the means by which God is strengthening those whom He saves. Friend, where do you look for strength in your life? People these days are willing to go through all kinds of programs and uh, plans to gain some strength, whether it's physical strength, whether it's physical exercise or some diet uh, or supplemental pills. And I, it's understandable. Our physical bodies need strength. But here is a picture of a God who is able to strengthen you and to strengthen me, to strengthen all those who would look to Him in faith and place their confidence in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, this gospel, this preaching about Jesus is the means by which God is strengthening you. I wonder if you have considered to look at Jesus, to look at God as a source of your strength. Friend, if you're not a Christian, the proclamation of this news about Jesus, this gospel news, is calling us to turn away. from failing to glorify god to turn away from seeking our own glory our own greatness and grandeur and instead of seeking ourselves or seeking things of this creation as the highest good god is calling us to turn our search back towards him to acknowledge that we have turned from him and we need now to turn back to him and we can do so by repenting of our sins and trusting that what Jesus has accomplished for us is sufficient. It's all that is needed so we could be restored back to God. Friends, when you and I turn away from our self-seeking, from our glory-seeking of ourselves, turn to God, God is establishing you, can establish you among His people and give you an inheritance that will be unfading, unshakable, undefiled, kept in heaven for you and I. That's the God who is wanting to establish you if you would turn to Him by faith. Now if you're already a Christian and if this gospel news has already gripped your heart and you have placed your confidence in Christ alone for salvation, then here's an encouragement for you and I. Keep reminding yourself Keep preaching this gospel to yourself so that in your daily, weekly walk, your soul can be strengthened. Find ways to apply the truth of the gospel to the various life experiences, life challenges that you are facing. Ask yourself, Lord, how can I apply the truth of the gospel that I am holding on to? How can I apply it to the challenge that I'm facing right now? Consider to find ways... Meditate on the various facets of this news about Jesus and how it can strengthen your soul. Oh, friends, through this gospel, we not only find strength, but we find assurance. Assurance of salvation. Our assurance of salvation is not based on our ability to establish ourselves in God, but it's based on God's ability to establish ourselves in Him. He establishes us in Him. And He does so through this gospel. He gives us new hearts. He puts us in us His Spirit. And as we hear the news of Jesus, we are enabled to experience new life. And this is a, the new birth that God gives us. A new spirit, a new heart that He puts in us. All this happens through the means of the proclamation of Jesus Christ. That's why, friends, even throughout the week, I encourage people to listen to a sermon as you drive, as you do some some work that you can just put on, some some earbuds in your ears and listen to a sermon. I encourage you to to be talking to other believers about how God's Word is speaking to you and and building you up, uh, how it's affecting you or how it's not affecting you. Sometimes one of the best things you can do to another believer is to tell them about the dryness in your own soul. So that that person can know and pray for you and talk about why, why it is that you're going through a dry season. Think about the impact this has also for our evangelism. When we speak to others about Jesus, have you noticed how our own souls are being strengthened? That when we evangelize, when I get to hear testimonies on Sunday night uh, in our prayer service, uh, how you had an opportunity to speak to someone about Jesus... I mean, I can see the joy in your heart. It's evident. You get strengthened when you speak about Jesus to others. And the possibilities that God can use those words to strengthen others and to establish them in the faith. Friends, the words of the song we have just sung earlier in our service, Jesus, strong and kind. This This is a Savior that we are proclaiming. And when we proclaim Him, God establishes us in the faith. That's the first reason to praise God for in this passage. The second reason is is actually hidden in a longer explanation that Paul engages to explain again and for the last time the gospel that he has been proclaiming. After telling us that God builds us up, strengthens us, establishes us through the gospel, Paul could go on to the next reason to praise God for in verse 27, his wisdom. But he doesn't go there yet. He's taking this detour, and he says, let me tell you about this gospel one last time. And as we look at this explanation of the gospel for one last time in this book, we realize what Paul is emphasizing about this gospel is that through this gospel, God is establishing or building a people from all the nations. This is the other reason, the next reason Paul is praising God for. God is building a people from all nations. God builds a people from all nations. Look at the second half of verse 25 and then verse 26. According to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages but now has been disclosed and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith. Oh friends, this entire letter has been written to unfold before us and to define the gospel of God. And here at the end, Paul says, let me give one more shot, one more summary of this gospel. But the facets that Paul brings out about this gospel are somewhat different than what he has been telling us so far in the book. Here Paul tells us, and here are the notes that he emphasizes about this gospel, that it was kept secret for long ages. Now, it's important for us to understand what this means. What is it that God kept secret for for many ages? The Old Testament has been filled with clues of what God was planning to do to save His people. But the full manifestation of all those clues was not demonstrated clearly until the coming of Jesus. So the fullness of this gospel, the full display of this gospel has been kept secret even though the clues, the crumbs that would lead you on the path to discover this gospel has been richly spread throughout the Old Testament. For example, if you had asked Abraham or any of the prophets about this gospel they could confidently tell you certain details of the gospel news that they had encountered and believed. For example, Abraham, if you were to talk with him, would have told you, let me me tell you about the God who keeps his promises. Let me tell you about what God promised me. And let me tell you what he did. He would tell you, That when God called Abraham to bring his son to be sacrificed on Mount Moriah. And Abraham went up with his son, ready to sacrifice him. Abraham would tell you, I believed that God was able to bring my son up from the dead. You say, how do you know Abraham thought that? Because Romans 4 tells us that that's why he believed. He would, have, he, he would have told you, I believe that God is, would have been able to bring my son up from, the, from death. That's how I had the energy and the strength to go up that mountain, knowing that I was about to sacrifice my son, because that's what God told me to do. But I would also tell you that God was able to find a substitute so my son would not die. And then in the nick of time, when I was ready to slay him, God said, stop. He intervened. God provided a substitute. That's the God I believe in. Now, would Abraham have known that Jesus Christ, the eternal Son of God, was to come to be incarnate? I don't think so but he would have told you God is able to raise people from the dead and God is able to find the substitute you see how Abraham had clear clues about the gospel message even though he he did not see the fullness of the gospel unfold in the coming of Jesus in the same way the prophets in the same way, the, the, the writer of the Old Testament would have, would have seen clear glimpses of the gospel message. They knew it. It was just kept, kept in partial revelation until God said, here's a time when I'm sending my own son, Jesus, my eternal son, to become a human being, and he would live out every one of those clues that I have given in the Old Testament, and He would all bring them together. It would all be embodied in this one human flesh. The eternal Son of God living in a human flesh. That He would live the perfect life that I have been wanting my people to live and they have failed. That He would die for the sake of the sins of my people. And that a time, a day will come when when this Son of God would be sacrificed, and God would not intervene to rescue him from dying. He would let his own son to actually be sacrificed, and God would intervene on the third day to rescue him from the, from the realm of death and bring him to life so that you and I would finally see that everything God has, has planned in the past would now be disclosed in full day. That's what Paul is saying here. It was kept secret for ages, but has now been disclosed. But there's something else Paul says about this gospel. Actually, this gospel says, through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations. In other words, this gospel was not only for the Jewish people. And the Old Testament has given us clues that this gospel was not supposed to be just for the Jewish people. When Paul, at the end of chapter 11, wants to prove to the Jewish people that this gospel has not been only for the Jewish people, but for all the nations, he's giving a list of Old Testament quotations. He says, It's been in the writings of the prophets that God had planned for this gospel to be for all the nations. This means that this gospel God is using to raise up a people for himself from all the nations. And these people receive a new command. And God is expecting them to exert a new obedience. It's the obedience of faith. Just like in the Old Testament uh, in Exodus when God brought His people out of Egypt and brought them to Mount Sinai, God established, formally established, the nation of Israel by giving them the law, and God was expecting them to obey that law. At the same, in the same way, through this gospel, God is now giving and issuing a new command. And the command is that people from every tribe, nation, nation, tongue, ethnicity, would put their faith in Jesus, would trust Jesus for as their Savior, as the one through whom they are being redeemed by God. This is the command of the eternal God, that all people from everywhere would trust and put their confidence and reliance on Jesus. My friend, if you're not a Christian and you hear these words this morning and you wonder, what does God want me to do? Here's what God wants you to do. Turn away from your sin right now. And right now, put your trust in Jesus as your Savior. Don't wait for another day. Don't wait until tomorrow. This is the command of the eternal God. And as God is issuing this command, He's building a new people for Himself. A new people who are now going to exhibit and display a new obedience. It's the obedience of faith. Oh, friends, God is building a people for Himself from among all the nations of the earth. And this has implications for our purpose as a church as well. We exist to make known the prophetic writings, both the Old Testament and the New Testament. Our gospel sharing is not our testimony. Our gospel sharing is the news that God has revealed in the prophetic writings. Now, we can share our testimony as part of the gospel sharing to let people know what God has done in our own lives. But we want to encourage you to look in Scripture to understand the, how the gospel story has been weaved in through all from the beginning all the way to the end and is culminated in the coming of Jesus Christ. This means that as we study the Bible... Whether we study the New Testament or the Old Testament, we always want to see the red thread of the gospel weaved out throughout the Bible. We want to understand how every part of Scripture connects to the gospel of Jesus Christ so that we can speak and proclaim this gospel to those that we encounter from all the prophetic writings because this is where God's authority is. Paul gives the second reason for praising God That God is forming a people from all the nations. He's now issuing a new command. And finally and thirdly, a third reason why we should praise God for is that He demonstrates His unique wisdom. God demonstrates His unique wisdom. Paul closes his doxology in verse 27 with these words. To Him, now to the only wise God, be glory forevermore, through Jesus Christ. Amen. Paul is telling us, God is the only wise God. Does this mean that there is no wisdom on this earth? Does this mean that all the wisdom that we see in human beings, people who are able to invent creations and invent things that are good and helpful for our daily living, that, that somehow that's, that's not wisdom, no, that does not, that's not what he means. God, the wisdom of God, is an attribute that God shares with creation, with his people in particular. So it does not mean that, that human beings have no wisdom at all. But when we put human, human beings, humanity, all creation, the wisdom of creation, with the wisdom of God, and we put them in contrast to one another... The wisdom of God is so far superior and grander than anything else, any other display of wisdom that Paul is saying, no, 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 to the only wise God. God is wise in a category by himself. He is uniquely wise. He is uniquely wise and everything that we may see in our world is uh, is coming out out of a reflection of the wisdom of God. But God is uniquely wise. But there's another reason why this particular attribute of God's wisdom is is brought out. And that is because actually at the moment of the fall, humanity has tried to claim not only the glory of God for themselves, but the wisdom of God, apart from God. Go back to chapter, just listen, chapter 1. If I read to you from verse 21 about the glory of God being stolen, verse 22 says this claiming to be wise, they became fools. This is why Paul is bringing up the attribute to the only wise God, because humanity has tried to steal the wisdom of God and attribute it to themselves. Try to dethrone God from his throne and think, oh, we are wise enough. We don't need God. We can do this on our own. So Paul, at the end of this letter, he's telling us this in the gospel, restores us not only to attribute glory to the only true God, but also to attribute the wisdom that we have stolen from him and try to take it for ourselves and, and declare it back to him. Do you see how this gospel is restoring the claim that God alone is wise in a unique and absolute way. The wisdom of God, said a Bible teacher, is not a proud wisdom such as the children of this world seek. But the wisdom of God is most amazingly displayed through the unfolding of the gospel story. And this is why it's, it's appropriate for Paul to identify and, and point out the wisdom of God here at the end. The wisdom of God surprises us most powerfully in the unfolding of the gospel story, as it has been kept secret, but has now been disclosed in the manifestation of Jesus Christ when He came as a human being to fill all that God has given us clues that He would do. In 1 Peter chapter 1, uh, we, are, we learn that not only the prophets foreshadowed the full disclosure of the gospel, and they were, not only the prophets were looking forward to see how the clues they were given would actually blossom into the fullness of the reality God was promising, but we are told that even, listen, even angels were longing to see how this promises would be unfolded. Even the angels, they did not know. They, uh, they only knew the clues that God was giving. They, they, they were not aware that when Jesus Christ would come as incarnate, He would fulfill everything God has been telling the prophets. Here is uh, the, the angelic realm waiting to see how this wisdom of God would, would unfold. And now that Jesus has come, it's like, wow. But the most surprising part of it is is that the wisdom of God had its crux, the center of its wisdom, in a cross. His own son, eternal son, to actually take the punishment that you and I deserved. So that God, the just God, would be able to declare as righteous and just everyone who would look to Jesus because of his perfection, his perfect obedience, his death on the cross, and then his resurrection from the dead would be counted on the record of guilty sinners. So now their record would no longer be one of guilt but of righteousness. That's the wisdom of God. And this wisdom of God would be displayed, the aftermath of that wisdom would be displayed in a new assembling of people who had nothing in common. And they would now form a body. They would form a unit. They would form an entity, a family, a people who would be loyal to God, who would praise God, who would, all they could talk about is how great this God is. Yes, Niagara Falls is amazing, but let me tell you about this God who would do this kind of amazing plan of rescue and redemption so that we could be restored to attribute the wisdom of God back to God and to attribute the glory of God back to Him so that we would live our lives under His wisdom, under His rule, and to reflect His glory. Friends, I love how one pastor put it beautifully, and I'm going to tell you who he is because he's in Austin this evening and I want to encourage you to go and listen to him. Ligon Duncan. He said it beautifully. Unless you are impressed with the wisdom of God, you will not be able to be confident in those experiences in your life where you scratch your head and you wonder what in the world is going on. Because if you can't believe in the wisdom of God, as it is displayed in the plan of God, you won't be able to believe in the wisdom of God in your own life when the lights go out. Unless you're able to see the wisdom of God in the cross of Jesus Christ, in the darkness of that day, you will not be able to hang on And see the wisdom of God when life is dark for you. So hang on to the wisdom of God displayed in the face of Jesus Christ. A few weeks ago, I heard uh, a preacher share the story of a missionary couple. A couple from Canada. Their names were George and Ellen Gordon. They were called to serve as missionaries on the island of Eromanga in the South Pacific Islands. Four years into their mission field, into their mission trip and time there, they were killed by the locals. A number of Natural disasters have come upon the islands and the locals concluded it must be because of this magic, this superstitious message, new message that these missionaries have brought to our island. So nine men of the locals decided to ambush them and kill them. The word got back to their families in Canada. And when his mother, when, when George's mother heard the news, she called out, my son, my son, and she wept. When George's brother heard the news, he decided to apply to the mission board to go and take his brother's place so he would continue the news that his brother And his wife had tried to pass on to these tribes. And he did. And James saw some of the fruit of the gospel that was sown by his brother, George and Ellen. But a few years later, some other locals decided to kill James as well. And when the news of James's death reached the aging mother back in Canada she quietly said oh that I had another boy so I could send that the heathen may receive salvation oh that I had another boy that I could send so that the heathen they receive salvation. Friends, that sounds like a mother who has been established, deeply established in the faith of the gospel. You might say, humanly speaking, it's impossible. How can someone do that? No, there's no, human, there's no humanly speaking, there's no way you can explain that but this is what god does when he strengthens us when he roots us when he establishes us in the faith of the gospel of his son when that mystery of the gospel is so f- clear that it has been disclosed and it's the only hope For all the nations of the earth, that it's worth living your life for that gospel. It's worth sacrificing your life for that gospel. It's worth living and sacrificing even at the cost of death. Friends, where does that faith come from? And the answer this passage gives us it comes from God, He is the author. Of that kind of faith he is the author of that kind of establishing of that kind of strengthening and rooting from the God who strengthens us and establishes us no human being could muster up that strength by themselves so let me ask you this we have been given here at the end of the book of Romans some reasons these are not all the reasons but some serious reasons why we should glorify God. Let me ask you, what are the things that lure you to praise in this life? Yourself, human accomplishments, there's a lot of things and goals that you and I might find worthy of praising, but no other accomplishment is worth praising as much as what God has accomplished through the gospel. To establish a people for himself through the proclamation of Jesus Christ so that all the nations of the earth, anyone who would hear this message would obey by faith so that God's wisdom would be put on display as he is forming a people through the proclamation of this gospel. Why should you and I glorify God? Because his power is strong To establish you in the faith. Because his power is strong to build a people for himself from all the nations of the earth. Because his wisdom is unique to bring about such a redemption through Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, please help us to glorify you. And you alone for the incredible redemption you have given to us, for the plan of salvation, and for the purposes you have with us through this gospel. Do that, Father. Help us to glorify you and be glorified in us. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.